0: Hello and welcome to Florida Basketball Hour. I am not Neil Blackman, Saturday Down South, nor am I Eric Fawcett, GatorCountry.com. I'm Jake Winderman, CBS Sports, and I'll be hosting our Gator Basketball Pick'em Palooza tonight. We are joined now by Neil Blackman, Saturday Down South, as well as Eric Fawcett, GatorCountry.com. Fellas, how are we doing tonight?
1: This is fantastic. What a great intro. We we love the seriousness you are taking your role as guest host, not just coming in and uh, doing the over-unders and props and everything we'll get into later, but also kicking off the show. So uh, I, I think that, you know, we had this idea many, many months ago that you would be the perfect person to host this. Um, so really thankful that you put in the work to do that. And uh, it's a little sad because I no longer have the competitive advantage of, of me coming up with all the props um, and then Neil getting to hear them hear them live. So I've lost my competitive advantage but i think it's gonna make for an awesome show so uh thank you jake thanks for being here of course thank you guys for
0: having me you know my uh two of my favorite things are uh, sports betting and gator sports so anytime we can combine them hit them on a podcast get uh good numbers out to the people maybe uh put some cash in their wallet if uh any of these are offered anywhere besides the uh wendy's Winner Sportsbook and uh wood fired grill you know we uh we, we hope people are able to make some money off of it
2: <laughs> i <will. laughs> i love it i love it jake so i was gonna say like uh like your boy Jesse Marsh shrieking down the sideline after a beautiful <laughs> goal. Um, it is time to talk about the Gators streaking down sidelines in a scrimmage. Um, Gators hosted uh, Elite Eight Miami Hurricanes team with, with the heart and soul of that Elite Eight squad. Uh, they were in the Elite Eight, I think, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, back and obviously, the team that lost to Kansas uh, in a regional final. Um, Isaiah Wong, uh, spectacular, special player, Eric, um, you know, you had a nice story at Gator country about, about the scrimmage. Why don't we start with you and, and just sort of your thoughts on, uh, the first time out for the Todd Golden Gators?
1: Well, first of all, I think it's good that you added the context of like, yeah, this actually was an elite eight, uh, Miami team, as much as they didn't feel like it, they, they found a way and we obviously can always debate the, uh, the merit of using ncaa tournament success or lack of success to to gauge teams but um obviously they've got some some pretty good players and they brought a lot of them back so uh it's a good team to for the gators to kind of scrimmage see see uh high level acc competition and that's uh, a good measuring stick so um i also have to shout out miami as well because they a uh, couple members of their staff were very open about talking about the scrimmage in a way that i was like i guess pleasantly surprised by and uh but it was also good because i mean they uh they kind of corroborated a lot of what we were hearing from the Florida side. Uh, That would be a stark contrast from last year where we heard all kinds of wild things about this North Carolina scrimmage uh, from both sides about what happened to the point where I still don't totally know what happened, but I I feel like we have a pretty good idea of how this, this Miami scrimmage went. So, uh, you know, four point game to Miami Uh, Kyle Lofton didn't play. Colin Castleton didn't play in the second half or hardly played depending. That's the one kind of, you know, maybe he played a couple of minutes, maybe he didn't play at all. It doesn't really matter to me. Um, And so the Gators obviously played a really good team close. And I think that uh, probably the most exciting thing that, Florida fans will will hear from this is that Kwasi Reeves was awesome I think that's what jumped out to me you know like Colin Castle was awesome we expected that uh, got some interesting kind of lineup notes but I think that uh, one thing I was hearing from from the Miami side was Quasey Reeves looked way bigger than they expected based on what they saw in film he was driving the ball a lot more aggressively than they thought looking at film from last year and he was finishing at the rim a lot better than they expected so I think that's what uh, maybe jumped out to me as uh, the most exciting takeaway
2: Yeah, no, I think it's great to see um, and hear that Kawesi was playing so well because, you know, there had been whispers, I guess, in some of the media practices, the practices that media were allowed to attend as to whether or not, you know, what Reeves' role was going to be. Was he a six man? Was he a starter? It clearly looks like he's a guy that's, that's ready to take that next step that I know that we've talked about a lot this summer. I would say, um, You know, I'm not trying to rain parade on on any of this. Uh, Obviously, I think the the great news is that Florida's starters and their first two guys off the bench was what I heard was used in the first half. They won that half against Miami's um, starting five, which included Wong. What I will say is, I guess the one kind of maybe detracting takeaway is that they weren't spectacular defensively. It kind of came in spurts. Uh, Miami has a team with tremendous guards. Um, and so I think that that's probably a really good thing for Florida's backcourt without Kyle Lofton to try to have to do um right away <laughs> early in the year. Because you think about they get their defensive stopper back, and maybe that's a bit of a different matchup. But um, I understand that Isaiah Wong had a really big game when, when Niles Lane wasn't on the Florida guard him. Um Trey Bonham looked great on offense, looks like It's going to be some growing to do defensively. But then again, how much growing is it really because of who you're playing? Um, Again, you know, yeah, you could debate the merits of what that elite eight means, but they were still a top three, four team in the ACC all year last year. Um, And whether or not it was a down ACC or not, they won at Cameron Indoor. Um, They couldn't beat Florida State, I guess. But uh, they they beat everybody else in that league, including Virginia, by about 30 points. So, um, you know, kind of a good measuring stick, maybe not a national championship title game measuring stick like Florida didn't know it got last year when it scrimmaged North Carolina, but uh, a good one nonetheless. Man, I kind of didn't even think about that, that the
1: Gators were playing the ultimate uh, team playing that far. So that, that's pretty crazy. But uh, you did you did uh, touch on one of the notes that was, I guess, a negative. The two kind of negatives from a Florida standpoint were one that they didn't defend very well, as Neil alluded to. And the second was that they did not defensively rebound the ball very well. So from a defensive standpoint, I think... Kyle Lofton playing would would certainly help a lot there. Um, he's obviously known as a, as a very good defensive player, legitimate 6'3 guard, someone that you would have really loved to have a veteran like that going against someone like an Isaiah Wong. Um and then I think obviously Castleton not playing in the second half, that's gonna hurt your defense as well. And perhaps even more than that, it's gonna hurt your defensive rebounding, as he was kind of one of the only impactful defensive rebounders on the team last year. Um, so like Jake, when you hear that the Gators didn't rebound the ball very well defensively and they've Got a little bit more size and a little bit more athleticism and, you know, new coaching. But um, they had one, you know, again, this is one game sample size that we're just hearing legend of. We didn't see it, but uh, is, is defensive rebounding going to be a concern for you kind of going into the season?
0: I mean, you know, speaking of the Florida program in general, what we saw under Mike White for the previous couple of seasons, defensive rebounding was an issue every single year. And while, you know, you do have some new transfers and some new players in the program, obviously guys like Trey Bonham, Kyle Lofton, who didn't play in that scrimmage a lot of the thought is that you were still carrying guys over from the year before who are on teams that were not that great overall defensive rebounding wise. Of course, you think when you add guys like Alex Fudge, it'll help in that aspect. Colin Castleton, when he's on the floor is a pretty good defensive rebounder. I wouldn't say it's something that would freak you out from one scrimmage, but I think it's something that if you see guys sort of attacking defensive rebounding that were on the team last year, the same way they did last year as they did this year, and you don't see them adapting and growing to what, what uh, Golden is trying to set up and what the new players who are joining that system for the first time are doing, that might be a bit of an issue, but I think from the first scrimmage here, you know, against Miami, obviously live ball against another good power five team, you can take some stuff from it, but obviously without lofts on the floor, he's going to play a big part in what they do on that aspect. So not taking – too much away from it. I just think once the guys sort of start cementing their roles and, you know, just sort of the guys like fudge Richard, a lot of these guys get more settled in. I think they'll play more cohesively as a unit, which contributes a lot to that defensive rebound and just playing together as a unit on that side of the floor before trying to jump it out and get it all the way on the other side of the floor.
2: Yeah, those are great points. I think I will be concerned if they have issues rebounding the ball against Jacksonville, which isn't to say Mm. like that Jacksonville who might win its conference and Jordan Mincy obviously was in charge of the schedule this year, because if you look at Jacksonville's schedule, they play in everybody, bro. (laughs) They are playing everybody. And uh, I I guarantee you, they got this Florida game on there because they're playing everybody. And when you open with Duke, you better play somebody good in a scrimmage. Hmm. Um, So, you know, yeah. Osayo Sifo, we know he can, he can, he can grind on the glass, but like, I don't want to hear about an Osayo Sifo double, double in that, in that (laughs) secret scrimmage or, or I will have some concerns. And since I went negative on my first take before we get into the, the best part of this show with, with Jake Wenderman um, I will say really positive reports from a staff member that I spoke to about Myron Jones, which, um, you know, I don't think that they're going to sunshine pump because they're a new staff. So I give it a little bit more credence than maybe I would, you know, a fifth or sixth year staff. That's just kind of, kind of, eh, you know, everybody's, everything's fine. We've got our program in our system. They don't know these players. I mean, they're just getting to know them. And they said, man, we really were impressed with Myron's ability to create uh, that. He's a very good passer. um, And maybe the biggest thing, Eric, you know, hitting shots.
1: Yeah, that's what they need from him for sure. But that was one of the notes from the Miami side was just that uh, Jones was in more pick and roll than they expected, uh, and that's something that we've of course talked on the podcast. Is that he actually ran more pick and roll at Florida last year than I think a lot of people would have expected. So it's it's interesting. I, I I've kind of had that that thought in my mind all off season as as Golden has talked so glowingly about Jones that like I I didn't know if I totally believed it and if it was just Golden. Uh, knowing, knowing Myron and knowing that he, you know, needs to be encouraging. And I was like, Hey, don't let yeah. me stand in the way of good old <laughs> fashioned encouragement and propaganda. Like if that's what it takes to fire him up like that, that's awesome. Um, But uh it's, it's he, he's someone that was a good positional defender, but lacked the physical tools to maybe be a great one. He, you know, showed he was sometimes comfortable handling the ball, but I would say generally at the guard spot in the SEC is a below average ball handler. So, it, it's it's great to hear that he played a, a a responsible game and made some good reads out of ball screens, but it's it's also one of those things where it's like I I, I to, to me it's still just going to come down to whether or not he makes shots like that. It really is. Uh, it really is actually uh, um, that simple. But uh, you know, hearing this, what are your thoughts, Jake? Well, I mean, I would say spinning it forward, right? So
0: Myron Jones obviously started on a Penn State team, of which we all know is not the, let's call it not the cream of the crop of the Big Ten, you know, we not winning too many Big Ten titles out here. So that was a team where he had to do a lot on his own. And, you know, it was obviously, you know, they had some other other players like Lamar Stevens, guys like that, who would eventually get to the next level. But he was obviously taking a lot of that brunt. Next he comes to Florida, where we know that again, how do I put this nicely? The offense was not the most innovative under Mike White. So, the positions he was being put in, you know, while he was at Florida were potentially not the most advantageous. And while you know, you hear that he's playing in pick and roll, and you hear he's doing a, a good job with that. My hope is that we don't see a lot of that this season. And my hope is that Al Golden, or er, er, Al, <laughs> Al Golden, that's the uh, that's, that's the first bad one I'm going to drop there. But I, I, I guess I got Miami <laughs> on my mind because we were just talking about. That. I love it. <laughs> oh, man, I got Miami on the mind confusing it with Florida. Well, let's definitely hope Todd Golden isn't uh, the Al Golden of uh, college basketball. That would certainly not be good. But what I was saying is I trust Golden to put a guy in Joe, like Jones in advantageous situations, whether it's running off elevator screens, flare screens, just putting him in motions where he can catch that ball, get a clean look, and take a good open shot. My thought is that he can take that next step as a college basketball player with Florida. If he's put in a uh, position to succeed where he is a specialist shooter, he is a catch and shoot guy. He's not someone who has to be the primary ball handler and not only generate offense for himself, but the entire team. I think if you put him in that situation, when you already have a loft and a Trey Bonham, I think you are taking away from your most valuable offensive assets you can play make. And you're putting the ball in the hands of Myron Jones who. I would not call a pure point guard, but I think can be a good shooter for this team.
1: I, I like it. And again, when he was successful at Penn State, it was because he was running off a lot of screens and, and Penn State was using his his feet as a weapon, his deceptiveness without the ball as a weapon, uh, not using his skills with the ball as a weapon. So I think that you add in his ability to move away from the ball and just the fact that Florida has some more capable ball handlers, someone like Colin Castle they want to throw in. It's like, I feel like, getting the best out of Jones is is not putting the ball in his hands. But, um, but alas, uh, this is more Myron Jones uh, conversation than I thought we would have on this podcast. (laughs) I was also happy to learn a little bit of uh, college football history with this Al Gold. I thought it was like some Al Pinkins, uh, uh, Todd Golden combination, but a quick Google search. And I, uh, I now understand why Neil and you were having a good laugh. It is not. Um, (laughs) He was,
0: he was the, he was the sweaty tie wearing coach on the Miami hurricane sideline during some, some pretty bad Miami hurricane football seasons. He, and that's he
2: probably came it. In, yeah, he came in and, and he wanted to be like Howard Stellenberger, who if you've seen the 30 for 30, the U is uh mm. the first one, not the second one, but it's one of the best 30 for 30s. Um directed by Billy Corbin, uh kind of Miami uh, activist celebrity <laughs> director guy. Um uh, he's active on Twitter, baby. Um yeah, anyway. Schnellenberger came in and that was his stick, man, like orange tie, like, you know, green jacket, like we're going to be Miami. It's all 305. I'm only recruiting three counties. (laughs) And uh, it worked. So Golden came in and he's like, I'm going to do everything Howard Schnellenberger did. And it was it was a Hindenburg-esque failure.
1: OK, well, that is uh, that's probably all the Miami uh, football talk. Anyone listening to this podcast, but I appreciated uh, learning about that. So, uh, so thank you guys. Um, but uh, yeah, let's let, let's get to uh, the, the, the meat let's of the it. order here. Um, Jake, I we are just going to hand it over to you, however you want to handle it. Um, it is time for the Wendy's Winter Sportsbook uh, Bar and Grill. I think you added before uh portion of the show. Uh, you take it, Jake. How are we doing this?
0: We will sort of run through them and I will keep track of your guys answers so that we are all on par here and making sure that we are following on a good scale. We'll obviously just have some, you know, some of the main stuff. We'll have the leading score, rebounding, stealer, those types of things. And then we'll jump into some more creative stuff. So let me get this uh, sort of document open here so I can uh, register all of what we're doing. All right. So just to start off the bat, we'll give the folks something easy. Neil, we'll start with you. Who will Florida's leading scorer be this season?
2: Um, so it should be easy. I've been, I'm not even going to overthink it. I'm just going to say Colin Castleton. Uh, I think he's worth 15 to 20 a night. And I don't know exactly what Wasey's usage is going to be. Uh, so, you know, in terms of how many minutes Wasey plays, if it's closer to 25 or if it's closer to 35, so I'm going Colin Castleton. Give me like 16 and a half or so a night.
1: Yeah, I, I I know for the sake of this this exercise, we want as many different answers as possible. Uh, but I, I can't do it here. It, I cannot imagine a world other than injury, which I don't want to even speak that into existence at, at all, um, that it wouldn't be Concast. And so I, I have to go with the big man as well. And I think that is a perfectly good answer. I would have to agree with Colin. But again, you guys
0: are the one answering it. I'm just hosting, you know, just just here watching from the sideline, just uh, helping us get through this show. Okay, so this will not be measured with, you know, with maybe statistics or in a certain um, uh, way that you can really measure it. But what I'm gonna throw to you guys is, and we'll start with Eric first on this one. Who will be Florida's most impactful newcomer this season?
2: Ooh, oh,
1: now yeah, this ah. Uh this is reminding me that at some point I've really got to finish my transfer projections <laughs> that I've done every year. And like the season's coming up very quickly. Um, <laughs> uh, oh, I, I, I want to give a blistering hot take here, but I don't think I can do it. I, I think they're going to put the ball in the hands of their very veteran point guard, Kyle Lofton. And um, hmm, maybe if I can tease it while I don't think he is going to be as productive as some people think, I still think ultimately he will be the most, uh, the most impactful. So again, not a
2: super hot take here though. I really wanted to give one. I'll I'll go Lofton and Neil. Yeah, man. This is a, this is one where there, as Eric said, there's definitely some hot take potential, right? Um, You could, like you could, you could go a couple different directions here. And I think there are people that'll be like, Oh wow. That's a, that's a thing that Florida basketball Eric said. Um, I'm sorry. I was trying to do something, and it didn't work. It doesn't matter. I'm going Kyle Lofton as well. I, I just think steady point guard play is going to be super, super important for every college basketball team from now until I'm pushing up daisies. So uh, Florida brought in Kyle Lofton to be their guy at that position. While they're holding him out for reasons right now, I hope that's not a lingering thing. We teased that on the last podcast and kind of were like, uh, and then they heard he didn't play in the scrimmage, and I got a little more worried. Um, but I'm still going Kyle Lofton here. Just such a smart basketball player and also such a plus defender, Jake.
0: I would have to agree with you. And just a guy who, you know, we have seen play many minutes for a team who has been in the NCAA tournament, who has obviously had success in the A-10. So, you know, when you get a guy on Kyle Lofton and one of the other props we'll get to will specifically be about, be about Lofton. We know he has the minutes and we know he has the experience. So we'll do that as a, a little tease for later in the podcast We'll jump to another individual player accolade. And I will ask you if you would have a differing opinion on sort of each of these questions. But the base question will be who will lead the team in three point percentage or not, sorry, in three point makes? So the most three pointers made this season. And would your answer be different for three point percentage? Now we'll just go with guys who would qualify. So let's say taking an average of one and a half threes per game or two threes per game. So you wouldn't include a guy, you know, like a Jason Jatobo or one of those where Phoenix now won a two this the season, he's shooting 50%. So Guys, I will. We will leave with Neil this time. We'll sort of alternate back and forth. that We've been being, doing so. Neil, three point makes leader and his percentage. A different answer for you. So
2: makes leader and percentage leader are different for me. Um, and I am gonna say that for makes leader, I really do like Myron Jones. Um, because I think what they're going to do, and I've said it on a prior podcast, I'm not changing my position before the season even starts. Uh, we don't want to be flaky here on Florida basketball hour. My take is that Byron's going to come out and they're going to be like, shoot three, four, three pointers every first half. And he might go one for four one night or over four, and he might go three for four. And then he has 10, 11 shots that he gets up because he plays a lot. But if he goes over four, or one for four, he may play 10 to 12 minutes. And that's it. Because he's not good enough defensively vis-a-vis the rest of the roster to justify court time when he's not making baskets. Uh, So I will say Myron Jones has the most makes. um, And while maybe this seems a little hot takey, just because we saw him shoot, what, 34% last year? I'm going to say Wacey Reeves has the best percentage. Um, The shot shot just looks too darn good. Like, at some point, that – it might even be in the NBA, unfortunately, but at some point the form and the percentage are going to collide like a meteor.
1: Yeah, that's, (laughs) that's, that's a good one. That's uh, so I'm going to have different answers for both. I think that the most makes is going to be Kowasi Reeves. I think that he is going to be the one who gets to pull the trigger as much as possible. If we want to read the tea leaves of um, well, if we want to, give any credence to you know any of the rumors about who Florida's starting lineup is going to be there's a couple um there's a couple differences that that we've heard in different positions but one of the consistencies has been Kwesi Reeves so I I think he's going to start I think he's going to have the green light whereas I don't think Myron Jones is going to start or at least be a full-time starter so I think that reeves will just be on the floor more have the opportunity to put up more shots and uh, because i think he's going to let it fly i don't think he's going to have the best percentage i don't think he's going to be the most selective and i think it's good i think he'll put up high volume and shoot like 36 percent um a player that i think will have the highest percentage is going to be trey bonham which is going to be it's it's I, I feel like this is maybe you solid. know solid it's not way off the board. I don't think it's the first name that people would have come to mind. And and he was someone who has been not an not an outstanding shooter at the college level, but I like his mechanics. I think he took a lot off the dribble at VMI. And I think that his shot selection is going to get a little bit better. And people are just raving about him kind of all along. I think he's going to be the perfect mix of he's going to play enough minutes to get into a regular rhythm with a jump shot, but not enough that he's going to be putting up, you know, a lot of off the dribble, out of the pick and roll threes that'll kind of lower his percentage Tyree Appleby style. So. um yeah, I'll go Reeves, Reeves for makes and uh, Bottom for percentage. Well, two of the guys that
0: were mentioned there will lead into our next prop. So we mentioned both Myron Jones and we mentioned Kowasi Reeves. We'll start with Myron Jones, and this goes a little bit to the consistency issue in terms of shooting that we've seen uh, the previous year with Myron Jones. So I will throw this to Eric starting first. Will Myron Jones have more games where he shoots above 40% from three or more games where he shoots below thirty percent from three. Which <laughs> side would you like to take?
1: Ah, oh, you're killing this, Jake. This is awesome. Uh, <laughs> okay, I'm also for kicks, not going to pull up his stats. I, 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 I. The the smart move might be to pull up the Ken Palm game by game and and see. Um, I, I better just make a decision. I'm sorry to say this. I'm I'm going to take below. Um, I and I I think everything about kind of regression based off his whole career would be like positive regression and that it should be more towards the the positive side. Hey, we even saw that he salvaged his percentage to like not a terrible number looking at the you know season sample last year because he got hot at the end. Because I said I wouldn't pull up Ken Palm, I can't tell you the exact number he ended with. Um, but uh it's gonna be right there and uh maybe one of you guys look at it. But uh I, I think you know, I I, I don't know what it is. I, I think positive regression is coming, but it's just like man with the the proverbial you know water gun to my head, as as Zach Lowe would say on his podcast. I, I I'm gonna have to say I would have to say under. I'm gonna say that more more sub thirty games, and I'm sorry to say it.
2: Spicy, Neil. What do we got? Man, I'm going over. I uh, I did look at some of the numbers and chart them a little bit to kind of prep for this because I figured we'd have some fun Myron Jones questions. So Myron came out and Elon cal and troy that is it for non-conference games from what i remember don't have it in front of me right now but wrote them down earlier and uh yeah three games that i saw in non-conference play where he was over that number um and then none and then in sec play there were more than that um so as eric said he salvaged his percentage by being a little more consistent an sec play and I don't have to be like as super friendly and, and politically nice as Jake <laughs> was like their plays for him were, I mean, that was a moribund scheme. It was um, bad. It was and, bad. and they weren't doing things that I think are productive for him as a shooter. And now I'm rethinking my percentage answer versus my volume answer after Eric, Eric's, uh, eloquent sermon on why Kowasey Reeves is not going to be <laughs> the guy that has the highest percentage, but probably has more makes but I'll go over, I'll, I'll differ from Eric on this question and say, he'll have more games over 40 than under 30. I kind of have to go that way anyway, since I said he'd have the most makes.
1: Oh, that's true. I, I respect the consistency. I, I realize now that uh, kind of, again, <laughs> point going back towards, um, or back about that question about who I think is going to be on the floor more is I, I realize I didn't actually think about this when I first answered the question, but now I feel a little bit better. Is like, I, I do think there's games where he's maybe going to play, 9 or 10 minutes and he's going to be 0 for 1 from the field. And it's mm-hmm. not going to be or sorry 0 for 1 from the three point line and maybe that doesn't count. Maybe there's like a there's a minimum for for Jake's hypothetical here, but um if we do count like 0 for 1 games as, you know, lower than 30%, I do think that will that will be in my favor. So mm-hmm. I I I will keep my answer even if it doesn't, but I realize that is something that that might be my favorite cuz like there's games where some of the other wings are going to command a lot of a lot of minutes and I could I could see Jones getting squeezed a little bit.
0: So looking back to his numbers last year in games where he shot at least three three three-pointers, so three shots from beyond the arc, he had 11 games where he shot over 40%, and he had 16 games where he shot under 30%. So those were the Mm. splits last year. So if he does regress positively, obviously those numbers will be pretty close, and it'll also depend on how many shots he's taking there. But the other player we actually had mentioned in our conversation about three pointers was Kwasi Reeves. Now this is a, a little bit of a fun one where we're talking about uh, maybe a little non-basketball thing. So we'll start with Neil here. Neil, will Kwasi rock the pineapple look at the entire season, the Lonnie Walker hair sticking mm. up looking great out there. Will he rock the pineapple the entire season? Is that a yes or is that a
2: no, Neil? That's a yes. That's not changing until year three or four in the <laughs> NBA when he escapes that like eighth man, ninth man role that so many first and second year wings get stuck in. And they're like, Oh wait, this guy gets us 15 to 29. Maybe we should make him our six man. At which point he's going to have some sort of dazzling, like small, you know, less hair type do.
1: <laughs> so, art- so I mean, anyone who follows Quaix Reeves on Instagram knows he's really into art. He's really in the fashion. And uh, for that reason, I could see him changing up his uh, his regular kind of look from uh, the pineapple. I think it was described. Um, But at the same time, it's an NIL world. And I would not be surprised at all if we see something NIL related from him um, that kind of showcases his, his very, very unique look. So for that reason, I think he keeps it all year. And I bet we see like we see something kind of like merch related that that's tied to like what is one of the most distinctive looks in college basketball. So I'll say I'll say he keeps it.
0: So we will move on to – we'll get back to some individual questions, but we'll move on to some team questions. And something I thought was really interesting, we'll look at both sides of this. So this season during SEC play, Georgia, Florida will play Georgia, Kentucky, Vanderbilt, LSU, and Texas A&M twice. Now we'll start with Eric for this question. We'll ask you uh, sort of both sides of the coin here. Will Florida sweep any, op- any of those opponents? And on the flip side of that, will they be swept by any of those opponents?
1: Hmm. So, okay. I actually am pulling up Ken Palm for this one. Um, as much as I, I, I kept the, well, it's not even like it's against the rules, Neil. I hope, I hope you're looking at Ken Palm probably uh, totally any, legit, man. You know, Look I'm at it, up, baby. I'm, I'm going to pull up Bart Torvik while we're at it actually. Um, hell yeah. But, uh, I actually, do, I do think they are going to sweep Georgia and that isn't just a ha you know, Georgia is not good. And um, I know that on our ballot, we had them finishing last in the SEC. But um, again, I, I do think they're going to be near the bottom of the SEC. And I do now remember looking at Ken Pong because I thought this was the case. Florida also plays at Georgia, the second last game of the season. And I just think Florida is going to have a lot more to play for than Georgia at that point. So like the advantage of Georgia being at home in that game. Um, yeah, I just feel like that's, I, that that kind of home court advantage isn't going to be like it would be maybe earlier in the season. So it's going to be easier for Florida to get a road win. So I do think that Florida sweeps, uh, sweeps Georgia. Do I, so do I have to say all the teams that I think that they'll sweep? No, 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 no. Just if you or,
0: had any, just if you had any in that group that you thought either could okay. sweep or be swept by. So you, you answered your question, if they will sweep anyone and Eric, you took Georgia. Oh, okay. Do you think there's anybody that they will be swept by in that group? So that group is Georgia Vanderbilt, who probably not. And then you've got Kentucky LSU and Texas A&M. It's really a matter of, do you think Kentucky <laughs> will sweep the Gators? Is more or less our question
1: here. I, I'm i going to go, I'm going to go spicier and say, and again, I just, this just happens. It's it's, I I have to go well off the board. I'm going to say that Florida splits Kentucky. So like nothing for the sake of this question, I'm going to say Florida gets swept by Texas A&M. Um, I think that Buzz Williams is an outstanding basketball coach. I think that I, 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 I like some of the pieces that he's brought in. Um, I think that Florida is a better team than Texas A&M. I just, you know, just one of those things where like, you know, Florida goes on the road and loses a game that they'll be expected to lose. And then like, wouldn't be shocking at all to see Texas A&M steal one by one or two points on the road. So I, uh, uh, it, I'm going to give a, a hot take without it even being that hot of a take. I just feel like that's how sec basketball works. Anyone can beat, you know, anyone on any given day. And I'll just go with uh, the coaching of, of Buzz Williams and, and say like, Hey, let's, let's throw that one on the board that Florida gets swept by them. And I still think Florida finishes higher in
2: standings, but that one I'll just say somehow goes in Texas A&M's favor. Very nice. And Neil. Um, so let's, let's, I'm going to circle and star the Texas A&M one, because in the past we've had biggest win, biggest loss, question. So that'll I be have later. Te- I have Texas A&M written down for something. So oh. let's uh let's just circle that one cuz this could be the largest disparity in take that Eric and I have had in <laughs> all the years of this podcast just based on schedule and date. Um but I think Florida will get swept by Kentucky. Um so that is my sole take on that. I think they will split with Texas A&M. And um, I think they will sweep Georgia, um, as Eric said. It's tough to, to have a senior night when I think you have no seniors. And that's kind of the deal Mike White's in over at Georgia. He may have a senior. I, I, have, I don't know, but they don't have very many. Um, and I think you get them, as Eric said, at the end of the year. I'm a big proponent that when you play someone often matters. Um, and, you know, you get them at the end of the year right after signing day. <laughs> Those people, they're not going to care what the hell's no. going on. <laughs> no, that's going to be a nice dub for the
0: Gates. That is that is definitely a fair answer. So we will segue then. That gives us the perfect segue. And Neil, you are next up in our alternating format. So I will go to you and I will ask who will Florida's biggest SEC win be and who will their biggest SEC loss be. And then Eric,
2: will get you afterwards. Love it. Love that segue. Beautifully done by our host. Uh Florida's biggest SEC win will come January fourth in their SEC home opener against <laughs> Texas A&M, where they will run the Aggies out of the gym in a sold-out Odom that will pretty much be just an explosive environment for Todd Golden's first SEC game at home. Sometimes with the cam- you just with the, cam- with the camera on the right side for with the, the cameras this on this the rowdies yeah. with the cameras on the rowdies. Don't make me go all Dicky V, baby. <laughs> it's gonna be it's gonna be unbelievable with a capital U. Uh, I mean, yeah, sometimes you just have to play somebody at the wrong time. And poor Buzz Williams (laughs) gets the buzzsaw of Todd Golden's first SEC home game. Blowout city, baby. 20-plus point win for Florida. Um, Florida's biggest SEC loss, it's going to come in what I think will be the kind of the doldrums of Florida's season. A real tough three-game stretch. Tennessee at Kentucky. At Alabama, I'm going with that February 8th midweek game at Alabama after they've just played Tennessee at home in what I hope is an emotional win and a tight game at Rupp. After that, I don't know how much they'll have in the tag for Javon Quinterly and the boys, And I could see that one getting pretty lopsided. And Eric, the floor is yours.
1: Strong answers. Um, one of the things about uh, the Florida Basketball Hour SEC um, ballot of finish that I think we were a little bit scared by and then ended up being alongside a lot of other voters is that we were, well, I actually thought that we were going to be lower on Missouri than consensus. It figured out that it sounds like a lot of people are actually lower on, on Missouri. And I know we had some good friends of the show that are great uh, Missouri basketball writers or alumni that were kind of pushed back a little bit. And I love those guys, but I just, I do not see it. I, I don't like the transfers they brought in. I, I think Dennis Gates is an awesome program builder um but i don't think he's a great schematic guy and i do think he's gonna really struggle so i'm just gonna circle um when is it let's go find it uh because i know they play my own saturday january 14th against missouri um i'm not saying i think that missouri is the worst team in the league i'm not saying that i think that the matchup is particularly great for florida but i'm just gonna pick a team in missouri that i think is that i'm lower on than than some people and just say like hey maybe the gators uh kind of explode for that one and um i will take a a a page out of neil's playbook and really look at um, when the gators are playing a team um and and a team that the gators just haven't really matched up with particularly well um i'm looking at december 28th right after christmas when they go to auburn a team that they had a lot of trouble with and say oh man december 28th coming off kind of christmas playing an auburn team who looks quite good and and uh it's given the Gators problems. I know the Gators have a lot of new pieces, but that just seems like a game that like could have a weird feel to it from the tip. And, and maybe the Gators, you know, have a big loss. So I'll say December 28th to Auburn. Yeah. And let think- me hop
2: in on that real quick, Jake. I'm sorry. No, I, no, I, wanna, of course. No, I, I just want to add, I think that's a really good take. It was also that was almost my pick except that I feel like anytime you can play an Auburn or an Arkansas during winter break when the students are gone, like it's a huge oh. deal. And so that's why I didn't pick that game. Mm.
1: Yes. I would have, uh, would have maybe rethought that because I'm <laughs> not as smart as you on that, but I will still take it. It's going to be a weird one and we'll see what happens. I hope to, I would love to be wrong on that one. Just I'll, I'll reiterate. I'd love to be wrong on that one. Big Gators win. So we will get back to some more team stuff, but we'll jump over
0: to an individual one. And I think this is, so this is something I'm, I'm going to have a take on. And I think this might be something I know where Eric is going. So some of what we've heard out of practice is that a, a lot of big men have been taking threes and they have been told to shoot at will. And if they're open, they can take those shots. One of Florida's big men and maybe their most prominent big men and player is Colin Castleton, who we have heard is taking threes of practice, extending his range. And listen, I get that Colin Castleton is trying to expand his game for the next level by becoming a shooter that will help his game. This Florida team, and based on his 0 for 17 track record playing college basketball from beyond the arc, it is not one of his strengths, and I don't think it is something that Florida should necessarily play to this season. I would like to see him take one, maybe two for this season, not per game. For this season, (laughs) he's open, it's late in the game. So I will pitch this to you guys. This is one that I came up with uh, myself here. Which will we have more of this season? Colin Castleton, three pointers made. Or Alex Klatsky points scored, so those are two total numbers. <laughs> so most three pointers hit, or more points scored by Alex Klatsky. So Eric, we will go to you first on this one. Eric, let's uh, let's hear your take on that.
1: Oh, it's that's oh, that's so good. Um, I'm not a believer in the Colin Castleton three point revolution. Um, not only do I not love that he hasn't hit one yet in college, um, I don't love his mechanics. And I also just think like Golden has talked so much about how he wants to play up tempo, and if you want to play up tempo, the idea of like waiting for Castleton to make it down the floor to take <laughs> a trail three, it just doesn't really jive with what I think that that Florida is looking to do offensively. Um, I'm glad they're letting him launch thousands of them in, in in the summer to see what see what happens and, and and maybe there's something there but right now i don't love the mechanics and i don't really feel that it it fits what the, the style of play that that i think we're expecting so i i'm pretty low on that number but i'm also like I'm also not totally on the side of some people who think that the Gators are going to be so desperate for a shooting that Alex Klatsky needs to play a bunch of like legitimate minutes. Um, I've also been on this podcast saying that people need to treat him like a legitimate player and not a walk on. Um, but still people are going to yell at him to shoot every time he's in the game. I'm certain. So uh, maybe he'll get a few up, but uh, I, I still think like volume wise, Castleton will make oh high single digits on the year. And I don't know if I think Alex Klatsky is going to get on the board. Um, so I, I will
2: go that Colin Castleton made threes are, are higher. All right. So <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to agree with Eric, but I'm going to preface that by saying that in 867 minutes of basketball between the two of them last year, see what I did there, Alex Klatsky. Um, <laughs> <laughs> they were over 11 from three point, from three point land. Uh, I think both of them get a bonus land, um, you know, they make one from bonus land this year. So that'll be an improvement, but Colin Castleton will make more uh, by virtue of playing. I don't know, 850 more minutes or so. Yeah, Jake.
1: So I, we, we know what you, what you want to happen, but what, what would your answer have been been to that one? <sighs> My answer probably, you know, this was not a spike question. It wasn't a, a special. <laughs> it was just,
0: uh, you know, it was just the thought I had. I would probably have to go, you know what? No, I'm going to go with Klatsky. I think Klatsky's going to score three yes. points this season. I think Colin's going to make two threes on about 15 attempts, maybe 16 attempts. Okay. Listen, that's an improvement from previously in his career because, you know, Ofer is, is not very hard to surpass. But love Colin. <laughs> Unbelievable on the inside. I think he's going to be a better passer this year in Golden Scheme. I think he is set up for success. I don't think he's setting himself up for success from three, whether it's the poor mechanics, what we've seen in the past. So we will roll on to another, um, you know, another Colin Castleton prop we'll go to here. So Colin last season had 10 double doubles. And while, you know, we we want to set the number around there, we're going to guess that he's going to get better as he gets older and, you know, has another year playing college basketball. So this year we're going to set the number at 12 and a half double doubles for Colin Castleton.
2: Neil, take it away. I'm going with the over. I think it's going to be 14 or 15. I don't think we're in the, you know, we're not going to be in the twenties like the Oscar Shebways and Drew Timmies. but you know, I, if you saw the almanac, it's the year of the big. And I think 14, 15 is a totally fair number for a first team, all SEC player. Hmm. This is an interesting one because
1: like, on one hand, I think Florida is going to play a few more guys that could rebound the basketball, so I think there might not be as many rebounds that that fall to Castleton, who's kind of the only impactful defensive rebounder um, last season. So I think he, I don't want to say his numbers are inflated because he was obviously a great rebounder with a lot of length. He worked hard, but. Um, there was also the fact that like, you know, how many rebounds was Flanders Fleming at the four going to grab on the defensive end. Like just a lot of those went to Castleton that I think are hopefully going to go to like Alex Fudge this year and Kwasi Reeves and CJ Felder. And, uh, but at the same time, like Florida is going to play a little bit faster. So you just add in more possessions, there's going to be more shots available and he could even lower his defensive and offensive rebounding percentages. But because I think Florida is going to play six or seven more possessions per game this year than last year, that. Could still equal out to him more opportunities, but uh I, I I think I think there's part of me that just wants to split with Neil, to add a little bit of drama. So I'm gonna go I'm gonna go under, not because of anything Castleton's doing, because I think other guys around him are gonna rebound the ball, and I think that there's gonna be a lot of like he's gonna score 19 or 20 points and have eight or nine rebounds as opposed to the 11 or 12 he would have in those scenarios last year.
0: I think a very fair answer, and speaking of players who will be veterans on the Florida team, who will be leaders on this team, we're going to go back to a guy in Kyle Lofton, who, as we mentioned, got a lot of run at St. Bonaventure, so went and looked up the numbers, he averaged 38.1 minutes per game at St. Bonaventure, which is ludicrous I mean just just I'm talking absurd stuff year over year we're gonna ask a, we're gonna have a minutes per game over under here and for reference I looked at you know other Florida point guards in recent memory who have been dominant on ball players so I looked it up Chris Chioza averaged around 32 minutes per game his senior year so we will set the Kyle Lofton number at 32 and a half minutes per game Neil which side you're gonna take here
2: Man, I love that. That's why you're good at this. Because 32 and a half is that is brutal Vegas stuff. Um, I'm going to go under and I'm only going under because I feel like at some point they're going to be like Trey Bonham play at the one Riley Kugel, whoever play at the two and then Lofton's off the floor for a little longer. Um, if they end up doing something that Eric and I don't think they're going to do a ton or at least didn't most of the summer and play lofted and bottom together, then I'm probably guaranteed to be wrong, but I'm going to go under.
1: Yeah, I, I'm going under and I would feel somewhat comfortable about it just because like, one of the things is like, Saint Bonaventure, like he obviously played a million minutes, but it's also because Saint Bonaventure played super slow. So I think when you add in that Florida is going to, be playing faster offensively they'll have to play faster defensively because the sec plays so fast a lot faster than the atlantic 10 it's it, it's just going to be a much higher tempo game than what Lofton played and while i don't i don't doubt that he could play 40 minutes a game if if called upon i just think to play his best basketball the staff will know that 29 minutes is going to be better than 34 so I, I i i well i say comfortably i would still guess you know high 20s so it's not like that number's that far off but um just from a pace standpoint and slash intensity of the sec and that uh you also add in the possibility that trey Bonham's awesome and commands more minutes at the one while, while like a riley Kugel, niles lane and Quasi reeves take the wings I, I i just think there's there's a couple pathways to that number being under so i'll take under
0: very fair answers and i think Both of you guys are correct. I think if he is playing under that number, I think it's a good thing for the Gators because I agree with you guys. I think it means they've found other ball handlers, other primary ball handlers guys that they can run through to sort of give loft in those minutes off. And and I think if he gets under that, it also means they're doing well with their uh, worst non-conference games. So, you know, you're looking at the Stetsons and those Mm. types of games. It means they're able to get him off the floor in those games as well. And they're not pushing him late in those games where they feel like, oh man, we can't drop a quad three or a quad four loss here. So I think a lot of that number will have to be with how many other ball handlers they can feel comfortable in this team and how comfortably they can get through that non-conference schedule, albeit with a lot of new players. So we will go for two more individual questions here. Then we'll jump back into team stuff. So I can't remember who started with the uh, last answer, but our next question is going to be who is going to have the biggest scoring performance. This was a question from last year and past years we've seen who will have the biggest scoring performance for the Gators this season And then who will have the biggest against the Gators? So I know we've had some differences in our answers over previous years. So biggest performance for the Gators. And then who is just going to go absolutely nuclear? I know Scottie Pippen Jr. has been a popular answer in the past. But, of course, this year we uh, probably will be looking at, you know, a, a new answer to that question. So, Eric, the floor is all yours. Best performance and best performance against? Um.
2: Hmm, if I'll, you don't I'll, have
0: a, if you don't have a game in mind, you can say player, and you can put a number on it if you don't want to say okay. okay. Hey, I, yeah, so you don't have to pick a game, but
1: who do you think it'll be, and how many points do you think they'll have? I'll say that. Oh man, like I, I it's just like every night, Con Castleton's gonna flirt with like, oh, he could go for thirty. I think he's gonna average high teens, but he's gonna there's gonna be games where like he's gonna score the first you know, four buckets before the under four timeout. And it's like, man, he, so he's going to be flirting with that all the time, but I'll say that Kwasi Reeves has a game where he hits seven or eight threes and finishes with, with 33 points. I'll just say he goes, goes off one game. So I will say Kwasi Reeves does that. And, um, against the Gators, I, I just, i here here's the uninteresting answer i'll have to you know take it neil might as well but oscar shibwe just cooked the gators a couple of times and it's like well i'd love to say that the gators are are more more equipped and concastle is going to be even stronger it's just he's a production machine so i'll say that oscar shibwe goes for a neat 30 in one of the games and I, I i also if i and also if i don't have to uh if i don't have to say what game it happens i also better my odds of it happening just taking an opponent that the gators <laughs> will see twice
2: neil who you got so for Florida's um, biggest scorer, they're the guy that will score the most points in a game, I'm going to go with Kowasee Reeves. I just think inevitably there will be a game where he goes nuts um, and it'll be, you know, I don't know. Let's just call it like cave Allen versus Arkansas type <laughs> game where, you know, anytime he saw the Arkansas jersey, he was just like, ah, 30 points, you know, like, Wasey's going to have one of those. Um, hopefully against Duke in, in the PK-85. But uh, <laughs> nonetheless, you know, actually, let's just make it against Xavier so that we get to play deep crack. <laughs> Um <laughs> uh And then I was I was going to overthink it and pick, like, Derek Lively after they beat Xavier in some, like, tough game <laughs> and just get, like, lit up by a lottery pick. Um, but um, I'm going to go with, with Oscar Shibwe. I know it's stupid and boring that our answers are – matching here but when it's like the national player of the year comes back you know first guy since tyler hansborough to do that uh and you know colin was so good against quality bigs last year but not against oscar she just wasn't really a matchup that he could handle who knows maybe alex fudge will have a little something for it although he's gonna have to contribute more offensively i mean i kept telling people all offseason that Hey, that you know I think he's really talented but there's a reason he played five minutes a game in the SEC and lSU and um that's still a piece of his game that's got to get better because Florida has a lot of good players this is a deep roster
0: i I think both I think from both you guys I think those are both good answers let's uh let's jump to some team stuff and let's jump to uh to some of the really good stuff the people who have joined along this far in the podcast are uh, looking for so I have not been able to find a team total on a um, reputable book. Not that the Wendy's winter sports book isn't a reputable book, but I'm saying, you know, the, the internationally licensed books. Ours is a, a little more of an under the table, Ace Rothstein casino <laughs> kind of casino. So it's, uh, it's certainly not as licensed or regulated. So I turn to Ken Palm. Ken Palm has the Gators projected 17 and 12 this season, but I personally think that's a little low. And it also doesn't include games where they would be advancing in tournaments and such. So, We will sort of factor that in with the Phil Knight Invitational, everything that they're going to be playing in and and sort of all of that. So instead of putting the number at 17 and a half, I am going to set the number at 21 and a half. So, Neil, we will start with you here. Are you going to be taking over or under 21 and a half?
2: So glad that you asked this question because I wrote a number down today and my number was over that. I will say it's under 25. I won't tell our listeners where under 25, but... Over 21 and a half is why Wendy's Winners is a great sports book because that's a tough, <laughs> tough number. But I think that they're, um, I think they're over there. Uh, part of it is I think they're going to go two and one out in Portland, which will be very, very helpful. I think when the committee sits down and looks at their resume, but um, yeah, I mean, there's some tough ones, man, like Oklahoma. I'd love that game if it weren't at nine 30 at night and like, you know you can expect Charlotte Gator fans to be like yeah let's go to a December college basketball game that starts at 9 30 so I don't know how much home court advantage there will be outside of like me yelling um and and just things like that so yeah I'm gonna go over I'm interested in Eric's take on this
1: man I think that I I I hadn't thought about the total but like my first kind of gut response as Jake started asking the question was like 21 wins. So the 21.5 <laughs> is deadly. I don't know how much value there is on the underside of this line. It's, it's funny too, because you talk about the PK 80 where it's like that, that or 85, that's what could really spin it. But it's one of those things where it's like, if Florida loses that first game, they probably go two and one. Cause they're playing like Oregon state and whatever Portland state. They're probably not, but you know what I mean? Like if they lose that first one, they're probably going two and one there's a chance they win that first one and end up one and two. So it's like, it's kind of funny how that, that's going to work. But um, man, I, as I, as I scan Ken Palm, it's, it's uh, there's just a, there's just a lot of tough games. And I look at, you know, a team, not that it would have been like, Oh, for sure. Florida is going to sweep Vanderbilt in, 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 you know, past years. And and that's not going to be the case that, I mean, they could certainly sweep them, but it's not the given that it once was. So uh, I, I, I'm still pretty, pretty high on what this team's going to do, but I think I'm going to take, take under, even though I don't think there's a lot of value on that, that line. Yeah. I'll go under. I I think that is fair. And I always love when we have different
0: answers here. So we can look back uh, later in the year and reevaluate how we did here. So we will continue with some more of our team questions. Questions here. So I know that there's obviously the SC media poll and there's all of that, but as we're a sports book here, we're going to go with more sportsbook based numbers. So Caesar Sportsbook currently has UF plus 1800 to win the SEC. That would be 18 to 1. So if you bet $10, you would make $180 back. A a good investment if you think Florida's going to win the SEC this year. Based on those odds, that puts them at the six best odds in the league to win the SEC. So we will set our number here for SEC finish at six and a half. Eric, you going over
1: under there oh the odds maker is just just nailing it yeah um the conundrum i'm now in is i think that the gators will be sixth but (laughs) i also think they're going to be below 21 and a half wins so i can't really suggest that i think that they're going to finish like fourth or higher so if i go over which i or higher i guess we'll go for for over
0: for over we'll call it better than six and a half okay
1: yeah. So I want I want to say better, but I know I'm leaving myself kind of not a lot of room, and maybe that's just my my house of lies kind of crumbling. My logic <laughs> house is falling down here. Ah, uh, I, yeah, I, uh, okay. I, I I'll 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 say I'll say lower. I'll say lower.
0: Got it.
1: Or below 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 six and a half. We'll call it the under. The under.
2: <laughs> yeah, I I think they're gonna finish fifth. I think that's what our FBH... Yeah. Um, and then we had him fifth. Um, and in all honesty, Eric filled out the whole ballot. And the only thing I switched was Eric had four to sixth and Alabama fifth. And I'm like less into Nate. I'm just not that into you anymore, Nate Oates. Mm. Um, and so, like, I dropped him to sixth. Also, I don't ever trust that Javon Quinterly will play, like, more than two-thirds of a season. And I love him. I love his game. He seems like a really nice young man. I saw he was like on the all SEC good works team. Like, don't get me wrong, man. I want you to be healthy, Javon Quinterly, but it hasn't happened like ever. Um, And they're just not as good without him. So that's kind of what was the reason I flipped him. I'll just stick with what we put on the ballot. Florida finishes fifth.
0: And rolling off of that question, we will go back to Neil, you again here. Will Florida make the NCAA tournament in their first season under Coach
2: Golden? Uh, they will. They will.
1: Yeah, that would be a yes for me as well. I think that uh, the SEC is going to be like an eight or nine uh, bid league, which is also going to going to help as we kind of sweat over the six and a half over under. Not that, of, of course, I always feel like people, you know, say it like it's automatic that when, uh, when someone says that this is a, you know, this many number bid league that if you finish in that, that range, you're going to get in, we know that isn't the case, but I do think in the sec, that'll largely be the case. And um, I do think the Gators are in, you know, we can, we can debate what comfortably means, but I don't think they're going to be like sweating it out in that uh, first, first game of the conference tournament, knowing they need a win. And now let's get into a
0: few uh, coach golden questions here, as we obviously talk about Florida's future, the first season under golden. So as we all know, Florida's previous coach, Mike White, who is now the Georgia head coach. Quite the uh, quite the tournament events there, but it's been done for a couple of months, so we will uh, look forward to that first Florida-Georgia game, but of course not before two teams playing football this weekend. Uh, don't see Florida doing too well on that, but hopefully they can get a win. Anyways, we're talking about Coach Golden here. Mike White at Florida for six and a half seasons, another six and a half. We'll put the number at that. Will Todd Golden be at the university of Florida for over or under six and a half seasons. And it could be for a good or a bad reason. So let's, uh, let's see good, obviously Ooh. being getting a better job, potentially moving to the NBA, obviously he's young. So we're not sure, or, you know, you could take the over because he's doing a good job at Florida. And he wants to stick around about the program that he has spoken so highly of during his, uh, introductory, uh, press conferences, uh, media car wash and all of that.
1: Wow. I wonder what I, now that you mention it, um, I was first thinking, I was like, Oh, I wonder what the, the Wendy's winter sports book has the the line for the football game set out this weekend. But then I had to, <laughs> then I had to refocus on the question. Cause it's a really good one. I, I don't know what golden's, um, you know, quote unquote dream job would be. Um, I don't know what programs he would, he would leave. Like if he had great success in the first two years, like would he want to go home to Arizona? If Tommy Lloyd went elsewhere after bringing that program back, like, um, you know, maybe I just, I just actually don't know. So I don't know if there's a lot of college jobs he would leave for. And I, I do think that the Gators have uh, turned around really quickly under Golden. So I think that he's earned himself quite a lot of rope um, where if it goes, you know, say they do well this year, like we kind of expect. And then even if there is a couple of rough years after that, I think he'll have his chance to dig his way out of it. So yeah, I, I think I have to go. I think I have to go over, but it's one of those things that I I have a feeling that a lot of people listening to this will say over, and we'll see what Neil has to say. But when you actually look at like how long coaches have been at their current spot, man, like that the wise number, the, like it, it would probably be wise to just say under and just say like, hey, look at all these coaches at the high major level. But uh, I feel like I'm going to say over, and I feel like a lot of people are will just going to say the same kind of optimistically. But maybe Neil's going to come in with some some flames here.
2: So I'm going to go over, and, and the main reason I'm going over is because I, I, I'm with Eric. I'm not sure, like, where he would go. I did see a public records request that Stadium did uh, where they ended up finding out that Randy Bennett's salary is, like, 2.4, um, which was mm-hmm. surprising that St. Mary's pays him that much money. Um, but it tells me that St. Mary's has cash, uh, and Randy Bennett is 61 um, so I do wonder if like mama can Colin, like if West coast Todd would head home, uh, especially cause you know, you never know when Mark fuel get lost in Idaho again and, and whatever. So, um, <laughs> did I just say, that? <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs> um, anyway, <laughs> I don't think Whoa. anyway,
0: I'm going over. Sounds good. And that will roll into another Golden question here, which I think will also be interesting. So both of you took the over six and a half, but this will combine both basketball and football here. Do we think that Golden or Napier will have a longer tenure at the University of Florida?
1: Oh, God. I, oh, I, this I, actually I, yeah, Neil, you have to answer this question first, which is great cuz you'll be I smarter have to than go me. First. <laughs> I, yeah, totally. Totally your turn. We're we're snaking this. I let
2: me punt so. this one to Blackman real quick. Yeah, yeah. That's uh <laughs> Sorry, my I my think... my de-
1: my defense couldn't stay and on the field longer. I enough, think... So I... <laughs> oh, oh, oh. I think um.
2: Golden Will have the longer tenure. Um and I've written extensively about how much I like Billy Napier. Like Probably exhaustively, uh, but Florida football fans are insane people. <laughs> and um, so I just don't think Florida has the patience to like, if t- let's say Billy Napier gets to year four and they've had one really good season and two seasons kind of like this. one, um, And in year four, they lose two to three. Let's say they lose three or four in October, right? Cause it's a transitional year. Florida fans will be going nuts. Like they will be like, get out of here. Like, it's time for a change, you know, like, Paul, I don't pay all this. We aren't good, you know, and like it'll just be bad, man. And and that that's stupid, but it's the way it is. And people would people would like tweet at me with 127 notifications about how it's not stupid. When it is stupid, but that would be their take. (laughs) Like, no, my expectations being high doesn't make me stupid, Paul. It makes me a fan. Realistic? No, you guys haven't won an SEC championship in 14 years, man. You haven't won a national championship in 14 years. You've your your second best win in the last decade is an Outback Bowl. Like, just stop it. But none of that will matter to them. So Todd Gold is my answer. And Eric, uh, well, well said.
1: Um, the the I. It, it is just like football and basketball are of course very different sports that no one's going to be shocked to hear that but <laughs> it, it, in in college football it really it, <laughs> is, it really is like championship or bust in a way that like football or basketball is not like again like up until this last year of mike white there was still some like pretty you know there was arguments on both sides of like well are we fine being like okay and just like making the turn and there was some there was some smart people who were still on the side of like sure let's just like make the tournament most years and be an eight seed and like whatever like there, there's just like that's not even a conversation in football so the the leash is just so much shorter and it's it's one of those things that i think like you said neil if it's like four years in and you don't feel he's the guy like the the appetite will be there to, to get rid of him so that will be my answer but you know i am reminded and, and i don't know like like andrew spivey the football writer at gator country told me all about like when 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 Napier was first hired, how like he put a halt to so many things about the practice facility and training facility that he didn't like. And he made all these changes and like how, how even the, the facility is like built to Napier specifications. And that's like pretty crazy investment based off like one dude. That's almost makes me feel like, okay, Florida is like in it for the long haul. And maybe he is that coach that we all hope he is. That's going to be awesome. And, and Florida will have a bunch of championships over the next decade. Uh, maybe I, 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 you know, TBD on that, but the, the, leash is just so short for football. And I think it's like one of those things as well, that if you just look at the recent history of, of college football um, and the shelf life of some of these guys at top level programs, it's just uh you got to say under though it made for some good conversation. And we will roll on now too. We'll, we'll go to a couple of team numbers and,
0: and we'll sort of roll through these. Um, first, One of Mike White's favorite things to talk about at the University of Florida was how they were going to play fast, how the tempo was going to be high, they were going to get up and down the court. So we'll revisit the tempo question, which seems Uh. to be—I mean, you—you question the Florida fan base, man. You got people who want to play fast, you got people who want to slow it down, look like a Virginia. You just have—it just this question is so polarizing to the Florida fan base. So to give you guys some quick numbers, Todd Golden—or yes, Todd Golden—was at USF for three seasons, right? his average adjusted tempo going off the Ken Palm numbers for both sides was 144 and a half. But last season it got to 82 while under Mike white in the last three seasons, it is 253 and a half. And there were seasons in his tenure, which were as high as 344 and 326. So, I am going to set this number at an even one, or not even, I should say, at 100.5 for adjusted tempo. Neil, do we think they're going to play faster than that? Do we think they're going to be top 100 in adjusted tempo, or do we think they're going to fall outside of that?
2: I think they'll be outside of it. Uh, that's a lot of tempo improvement um, in one season. I I think it'll be close, though. Like, I think, again, Wendy's Winter Sportsbook is the real winner tonight. That or maybe my, like, Southern accent, Florida fan impression. I'm not really sure. But probably Wendy's Winter Sportsbook. <laughs> um,
1: I'm going to go – So, sorry, can you say the number again? It was 100? 100.5 is
0: what we're going to set the number at. So, basically, will they be in the top 100 or will they be outside?
1: Um, I'm going to say that they're going to be – below that I think they will be higher than than 100 I I while I do think that they're going to accelerate the tempo I think that um at San Francisco they didn't play super fast they were definitely faster than average but and again like let's put some like major context they were at San Francisco trying to compete with the BYU's and Gonzaga's and St. Mary's so um would trying to run on Gonzaga who's the best fast break team on the country. Would that have been a wise strategy? No, you want to try to slow the ball. So again, context matters big with those numbers, but uh, I I do think it's just worth noting that while he was, you know, does like to play fast and they're going to take points in transition when they have the opportunity. um, I I do think that, you know, they're going to, they're going to get into some good half court offense, some of the prints and stuff, they're going to run through some progressions. And I think that they're going to end up being like, hundred and fiftieth in offensive tempo and or an offensive possession length and like 90th in defensive possession length and it'll go to like 120 and I think the fans will be really really happy with it because it'll still look like beautiful basketball um so I yep. hope that no one no one hears my they're gonna be slower than that and is discouraged I you know that's that's kind of where you want anywhere between like i would say unless you're like gonzaga like is like between 75 and 150 is like usually where where good teams reside um with with again plenty of outliers that's like huge asterisks on that but i think uh, i think if florida is kind of anywhere in that range people are going to be really happy with the product
2: and so, also like not really not sorry Jig, not I'll a ton go, of out- go. not really a ton of outliers anymore man like saint mm-hmm. mary's is slow virginia's slow but really like If you want to be pretty good, you're usually in the top 150.
0: Hmm. No, and and it'll certainly be interesting to see where Florida lands there. And, you know, if we see a change of it where maybe the first year they're a little slower getting into their stuff, and as they get Golden's offense and his defense down, they sort of sink into that range where Eric's talking about it between about 75 to 150 and in that range. So we will now jump to offensive efficiency. So when we're comparing Golden and White, basically I'm using a three-year sample size since Golden was at USF for three years, I should say San Francisco at for three years since we probably have some University of uh, South Florida alumni listening to the podcast. Go Bulls. But uh, anyways, I digress. So Todd Gold, or yeah, Todd Gold, I keep wanting to say Al Golden, and I keep, that this is bad. I keep wanting to like correct myself, and I know I'm right. (laughs) Offensive efficiency. Golden at USF, about 70 and a half for a three-year average, but last year was at 44. Mike White's three-year average was 39 and a half. So We will set the number at 40 and a half. So 40.5 for offensive efficiency. Neil, we will go to you first on this one.
2: Um, I think they're going to be in the range of 30th to 40th. So whatever, I guess that would make it a little under, right? Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. So that's, that's, yeah, that's kind of where I think they'll be. Um, Kevin Hovey's... Richmond team was in the 70s. Um and you know, beat somehow managed to beat the best offensive team in the country in the NCAA tournament, I think, um, last year, at least in the first round. And, you know, uh, we can have a Fran McCaffrey discussion another day, I guess. But hey, uh, you know, I think I think that they're I just think the presence of an offensive coordinator, first of all, is something that in college basketball now is increasingly you increasingly specialize your bench. Um, and I think that Todd golden recognized that trend. He'd also been at places where that trend had been implemented dating back to his time with Bruce Pearl at Auburn. And I just think it's going to help Florida immensely. So we're talking about an offense that was 47th or so anyway, last year. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're not even talking about a huge jump and, We're expecting sort of a breakout from Kwasi Reeves. We're expecting Myron Jones to shoot a little better. I think they have a prolific shooter in Will Richard, if you believe the reports out of camp. Um, I think you have a guy that can attack closeouts beautifully and is a great athlete in Niles Lane. There's enough pieces there for me to think Gator fans are going to be very pleased with both system and production and land in that 30 to 40 range.
1: I, I too think they'll be better than that number. And it's just like, it's one of those things where talking about where Florida ended up last year, it's like, I just, it's still crazy. Like I I think we all thought that Florida's offense was worse than what the numbers said, at least according to Ken Palm and adjusted offense efficiency, not just last year, but the last couple of years. Um, So even just using last year as a bit of a guide of like what, uh, what offense looks like at, uh, at the level of, um, 47th, it's like, well, I think the Gators are certainly going to be like 10 spots or or, or better than that. So um, I'll, I will say better as well alongside Neil. And then we'll
0: quickly flip over to the other side of the ball, Eric. Defensive efficiency-wise, last year, San Francisco at 26, while under Mike White over the past three seasons, it averaged out to about 59.5, which is um, obviously not great and, and not where you want to be for playing winning uh, championship basketball. So to even out that number a little bit, I'm going to set that number at 28 and a half. So, Eric, will the Gators be better or worse than 28 and a half in defensive efficiency per our good friend Ken Pomeroy's numbers?
1: Um, I'm going to say worse, just barely. And I know that Colden has been a more of a defensive coach throughout his kind of career, but it just seems like – um Again, let's I, I maybe I'm just doing the fool's errand of of thinking a little bit too much about what we heard from an exhibition that we didn't see ourselves. But uh, I just kind of hearing the lineups that that Florida rolled out and who, the lineups we're kind of hearing about in practice it kind of seems like the gators are going a little bit more offensive with their lineups than defensive which would have been the opposite that I, of what i would have expected but it seems like the gators are leaning a little bit more into the offensive side of the ball and that'll make for some defensive growing pain so i think they're a little bit just a little bit worse than that number you definitely nailed it uh, the book nailed it on that one good number but i'll go just slightly lower or worse
0: and
2: neil Well, I just think data is transforming the sport and, um, you know, we saw it at the NBA level first, um, which I think one of the really cool things about college basketball is, uh, it's a little different than college football in that college football is sort of its own universe, uh, in certain things that work in college football, work in college football. And the NBA, even though the sec is sort of evolving into NFL light, uh, both in, how the game is approached stylistically and how organizations are run. I call them organizations because it's kind of farcical now to say like this school, uh, (laughs) at least in the sec. Um, But in college basketball, it really is a game where concepts from Europe concepts from the NBA sort of trickle down into the game in college. At least that's my take. Eric, probably a little more educated on this than me, Jake. Given your familial background, you're probably a little more educated on this than me, but it's something that I see, uh, and I do think data has sort of transformed the game. And so I say that saying that while I tend to agree largely with the points that Eric's making, I just think that this staff is really smart, and I think they'll find ways to squeeze everything they can out of this team defensively. Because I know Todd Golden approaches the game a little bit like Eric Spolster, which is why... I brought that up on two or three podcasts. Like He loves to use data, and he starts thinking about, okay, how do I limit the other team from scoring baskets? That's question one. Uh, and then question two is, okay, now now we've gotten stops. We just need to score more points than the other team, right? And I just think Florida's going to be right under that number. It's a great number, again, Wendy's Winter Sportsbook, but I like Florida to be a little bit better than that. Neil, you mentioned that a lot of people, of course, associate Todd Golden, analytics,
0: advanced numbers. That is something that we have seen covered very heavily in the um, very good PR work that Florida basketball has done. Shout out to Denver Parlor, making sure that uh, Golden and the Gators are well covered going to the season. Denver, of course, Florida SID, great guy. Just uh, obviously one of the best and nicest dudes in the business. But we talk about Golden and analytics being associated together. This is a a little more outside the box question. Uh, Neil, we'll go to you first. Who is the first SEC coach in his post-game press conference who will praise Golden as the analytics guy. And we're so impressed by what they're doing in <laughs> Florida, which SEC coach after either getting beaten or after beating Florida will make that association of Todd Golden is the whiz kid
2: of analytics. It's going to be Bruce Pearl because they play yep. them first. <laughs> and it's, it's December 28th and Golden was on his staff. Like, and in fact, if Florida blew out Texas A&M and their home opener, which they're going to do no matter what. But if that game were December 28th, uh, Buzz Williams would still not mention it. He'd be mad at his team for not executing and performing. And it would still be Bruce Pearl in <laughs> game two. So I'm going with the sweaty Bruce.
1: Yeah, that's totally reasonable. But again, I had Auburn um winning that game handily in my, you know, had having to give an answer. So I think it would just be too ruthless if if Auburn or if Bruce Pearl like beat the Gators by 20 and it was like, yeah, we really love what they're doing with analytics. <laughs> um so I will say another coach who's, who's savvy, pretty underrated savvy with analytics is, is Matt McMahon at LSU. So that's uh, Florida's fourth game of the of the season. Like you said, I don't think that Buzz Williams would be the type to say that. I don't think if the Gators beat Mike White, then Mike White would be the one to say that. But uh, Matt McMahon, who's both just like a really nice dude and kind of has that like, oh, I'm totally going to compliment the guy I just played against. And he's also someone who's very analytically savvy as well. So he'd be the one to understand what Florida's doing. So if not Auburn, which is probably the smart money, I'll go LSU as uh, in, in game four of the SEC slate. I like it. So we will roll through a little rapid fire,
0: uh, a little more of these questions. But just want to get back to one more team answer. So we're going to talk a little three-point percentage with Florida, which sort of revolves back to what we were talking about with their offense. So last year, Florida shot about 30-ish percent from three, which is not fantastic. And San Francisco shot around 34%. So we will put this number at 33.5%. Eric, will the Gators shoot better or worse than 33.5% from downtown this year?
1: Oh, uh, that's this really ties in all the Colin Castleton shooting conversation. And, um, <laughs> if he's breaking all these good. threes, they're not <laughs> they're not going to get over that number, man. They're, they're just not. Well, and, and, and one thing that's uh, that it's really smart that you notice is that it's not like San Francisco had a ridiculous three point percentage and it's because they shot so many threes. And if you're going to shoot a lot of threes, you're just not going to have like a great percentage. Um, the Gators are going to hope to do what San Francisco didn't have a good percentage. And that's why the number you set is really good. Oh man. I'll, I'll, I'll say just, just a hair under. And I think that Lofton like people are talking a lot about how Con Castlin wants to go pro. I think that uh, I think Lofton's kind of in that same boat too. He comes, he's coming to Florida trying to make some money in, in, in future years as well. And, and he needs to prove he's a jump shooter as well. So I think, Lofton becomes a guy who takes some shots that that Florida fans aren't going to end up loving and and I'll say bringing down the percentage just a little bit so man I think it's 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 going to be like a decimal point or two lower than that but just you know for kicks on the podcast I'll, I'll I'll say I'll say lower by just a hair
2: yeah I'm going lower too. uh yes it's boring when we agree mm. right um <laughs> Yeah, I mean, they shot 30.7% last year. Uh, what I will say about 307 is like that was with Myron Jones. Whether you think he was injured or not, or if it was just all scheme, you know, that was a thing. You had Brandon McKissick just launching triples, uh, 111, I believe he attempted, and shot 24%. So, um, you know, I don't think that albatross will be hanging around Florida's back. All year, but I don't know if that end result is a 3% increase in overall team percentage. Like, I think they'll fall just short of that.
0: No, I think that's totally fair. We will, uh, we'll roll, roll to a few more uh, interesting ones here. So, of course, we expect Colin Castleton to probably be named all SEC at the end of the year if everything goes as expected, but we will set the number at over under one and a half players named all SEC for the Florida Gators. Neil, we'll go to you first on this one. I think you're first on this one. I think.
2: Yeah, I am um and it's just such a good league I'm going to say under. It's very tough. Uh but I think I'll tease this if there's all freshman team, I bet you that it's two because you get in. Oh. and I I think Riley Kugel will be on the uh all all freshman team.
1: Uh, I, I think that you can just pencil in Colin Castleton. I think you can pencil in Oscar Shebway and like you probably can't pencil in Nick Smith from, from Arkansas, but I think it's like close to that. So then it's like you're taking whoever Florida's best player is and taking like a Brandon Miller, who's going to be a lottery pick and just a lot of other good players that are going to be competing for two spots. So I just, I I don't think a second Gator gets there. Um, Also, if the Gators finish five, six or seventh, I think the teams that are going to finish ahead of them are going to be more likely to have a couple of players, such like a Santiago Vescovi and Sakai Ziegler, or, you know, there's a couple of teams up top that are going to have come. So I I, I actually, it's kind of hard for me to actually imagine the Gators having, having more than one and a half. So I'll, I'll say, I'll say under. So we
0: will roll on to our next team question. We will go to the AP poll, which we know isn't the best way of measuring teams, but it is how a lot of fans, when they open their, you know, their, their CBS Sports app, when they open their fantastic award-winning CBS Sports app, they go and they they like to see who's ranked, what numbers have next to their name. So I'm going to set the number at highest AP ranking this season. We're going to set it at 19.5, Eric, Will the Gators at any point this season be ranked better than – well, I guess better than 20th. Well, the number is 19 and a half. So, will they be ranked 19th or higher at any point this season, or do you think they will stay below that number for the duration of the year?
2: Uh,
1: Well – I will say their clusters of really good games in a row will give them the opportunity. And at least once they'll, they'll do it. Um, Like at the PK 85, if they beat Xavier and if they, if they rattle off two wins in, in, in uh, the PK 85, like even that could be enough on its own because it's like early enough in the season or, or Florida state Xavier. And then the next game, like I, I, I just, and then the sec is just good enough. I just think like any three game winning streak, assuming that they're kind of hanging around the, like, 25th to 30 range obviously they don't vote down to 30 but you know roughly receiving votes there i just think at any point they're going to have multiple kind of three game stretches where if they win three in a row they'll, they'll get up there so i i don't think they get oh i don't think they get much higher than than that but i think i think once they they taste 19 or 18 so i'll say i'll say higher or or better And Neil,
0: will you be sorry? Sorry. No, all having, good. No, all good.
2: Yeah, man, having some issues with the uh with the mute button there. My my fault on that, guys. Um, so I think once they beat Purdue in the third place game at the PK 85, they will get to about 17 or 16. I don't know if that'll be like the high watermark for them. It probably will depend on like what happens against UConn and Oklahoma. Like if they split that, I could see them rolling into the conference play being still above number 19. And then when they lose to Auburn, you know, we'll see what happens, but uh, yeah. So I, I agree with Eric. Now
0: just, just a few more questions here. So we will take a look at these and um, this is sort of a fun one that I came up with. So obviously Florida, Georgia is a big rivalry. And with uh, Mike White at Georgia this year, I'm sure many people will have their eyes focused on that. So Which do you think will be – how how do I phrase this? Okay. Which number will be better? As in, obviously, which would be the lower ranking? Florida's final Ken Palm ranking times three or Georgia's (laughs) final Ken Palm ranking? So for reference at the moment, Florida is starting at 35 on Ken Palm. And then you have Georgia down around 93. So the numbers are sort of aligned right around there. So, uh, Neil, we'll we'll go to you first on this one. Do you think which number will be better? Florida's final Ken Palm ranking times three or Georgia's final Ken Palm ranking as is?
2: Oh, man, that is tough. (laughs) <laughs> that's a creative question that's good that's I, question. I don't know how I came up with that one Florida I'm gonna go Florida's times three will be better okay
1: uh, I'll also add Jake on Bart Torvik um, which is a lot higher on the Gators I think they have the Gators like 26th or 27th but George is down at like 130 so if you you could also just if looking at those numbers it might also, you know, inform inform our decision. Um, I actually really think that Terry Roberts is is really, really good. That that's one player that like, you know, happy the Gators got Kyle Lofton for sure. But if there's a player that I think the Gators are gonna be like, man, we wish we like were able to get him or went harder at, um, it might be Jalen Llewellyn, actually. We'll see how that one goes. Um, but uh yeah I, I think Terry Roberts, you know, could be it. And I just think that the SEC might be so good that as long as Georgia stays in games, which we saw Mike White do by keeping possessions low and guys playing hard, they they might just end up in like that. Oh, so now I now I keep doing math in my head. No, I I was gonna say like the eighty some range, <laughs> but I I think that might not hit the number. I now I've got to do multiplications of three. Um, yeah, I think that Florida with the t- times three will still be better than Georgia. If I'm answering the question correctly, <laughs> uh, you, you are. Okay. It correctly. You are. You that's, are. So, that's excellent. That's, that's excellent. all
0: good. All good. So just really just a couple more here. And then we are all wrapped up. Speaking of uh, golden and white, obviously w- one of the questions um, that I liked last year was the technical foul question. So I don't think that Todd golden is going to act as volatile on the sidelines as we had seen Mike white at times. So I will set the number at 0.5, Eric, basically will
1: Todd golden get a technical foul this season? Yes or no? Um, new, new guy in the sec with uh, the way that some of these coaches have, have clout. Um, I I, I think that uh, golden's going to get pretty irate and he's going to get a a, a real short leash with some of these old school, (laughs) old school, old school officials who aren't going to be so keen at this, uh, you know, young Jewish guy from the West coast coming to the South. So uh, I I think he gets one that he maybe doesn't deserve. And uh, for that reason, I'll, I'll go over. And Neil, what is your take here?
2: Yeah, I'm going over too. Um, I I got to say that the technical foul was one of the ones that that Eric brought out a couple years ago. And and so I started doing a little bit of, of official <laughs> research uh, on just looking at where refs go. Kentucky has a great website on it. Um, it's a Kentucky fan website, but they like track games for referees. Um, Todd Golden's never had the Doug Shaw's experience. it's not going to end well for Todd at least once.
0: (laughs) Oh man. All right. So just, uh, just actually, it's uh, two more questions here. So this question I think is actually really interesting and we'll start with Neil here in Florida's final game of the season. So whether it's NCAA tournament, NIT, CBI, CIT, any of the tournaments that they have nowadays, or maybe they don't play in one for whatever reason, we can't predict the future. Who will Florida's starting five be in their final game this season? Uh, I think it is Eric's turn here. So, Eric, who will Florida's starting five be in the
1: last game of the season? Oh, incredible! Um, oh man, okay, let's uh, let's go, Kyle Lofton. Oh man, last game of the season. Okay, we'll we'll, we'll go Kyle Lofton, Niles Lane. Kawacy Reeves, Alex Fudge, Colin Castleton. Okay. Uh, There's I certainly I certainly don't think that's going to be uh the day one starters, but uh by the end, um that's what I'm going with.
2: And Neil. Everybody that he just said, except for Alex Fudge, and I think it'll be CJ Felder. Mm. Mm. So you will be going Lofton, Lane, Reeves,
0: Felder, and Castleton. Correct. All right. I like that. And then we'll wrap up here with basically, this will just be a double-edged question. We'll start off with Neil. Neil, Florida's offensive player of the year and Florida's defensive
2: player of the year. Love it. Uh, Florida's offensive player of the year will be Colin Castleton. Um, Just such a good player inside offensively. Pretty good free throw shooter. Um, Don't want him shooting from beyond 15 feet, but pretty solid there standing still from 15. Uh, Gets the easy putbacks. Um, I say easy like it's easy to get an offensive real. um <laughs> in the SEC. Uh, so I'm going to go with him as for sort his of Offensive Player of the Year. It's tempting to just give him both, but I think Niles Lane will be the Defensive Player of the Year by the end of the season, top 20 defender uh, in on-ball defense last year in the country um, per stat solutions. Uh, a lot of people have asked me, you know, hey, you got that? Hoops lens? also had him. In the top 20, he he didn't qualify minutes wise in a couple of the other uh scenarios because for some reason he was sitting on the bench a lot of the time. But uh I think he'll be the the Florida defensive MVP, edging out Kyle Lofton in that category. Hmm.
1: Yeah, I think it's gotta be Castleton offensively. I just don't see them playing through anyone as, as much as him. Um, even if even if Quasey Reeves outscores, um on Castleton, which I wouldn't predict, but let's just like say that world exists. I still think it's probably a situation where the Gators are playing through Castleton most of the time. And the argument will be made that that Castleton is the offensive MVP and it would probably be the right one. Um defense is a lot tougher just because like there's still a world that exists that we're super wrong on lane, and he like that he's starting by the end of the year, and he's definitely not starting at, at the end of the year and doesn't start at all and doesn't play a lot of minutes, and that's right what makes right. that tough. Yeah. Kyle Lofton's also a pretty strong answer, but there's still part of me that is concerned that he's doesn't have SEC athleticism and, and quickness. And while he's long and definitely super savvy, plays extremely hard and is very experienced, like there's still a little bit of me that's scared. So I will, go, uh, uh, I, I will go with an equally volatile answer. And I'll say Alex Fudge, who I think just has the highest defensive upside physically. And he's young, which is usually not a good mix or, or not a good... Not a good trait for someone who would be a defensive MVP, but uh, I think he's got all the physical tools and I think his role might be to get out there and exclusively pretty much play defense. So uh, I'll, I'll say him with not a ton of confidence.
0: I like it. And and just to save time real quick, one thing I just saw in here that I forgot to ask you guys, it's a transfer question. Last year, Florida had three transfers or players transferring out of the program from their team last year. And that'd obviously be Tyree Appleby, Tune Gatkick and Elijah Kennedy. So I will ask you folks, we will set the number at two and a half at the end of the season or by the start of next season. Will Florida have over two and a half or under two and a half players transfer out of the program in the transfer portal era? Oh, that's our final question here, folks.
2: Well, I actually have a question for, for, <laughs> well,
0: for well, this for, will be the uh, penultimate question. Oh yeah, <laughs> penultimate this question. will be
2: the penultimate. I get the final, I get the final question because yes. Jake gets to sign us off tonight. <laughs>
1: okay. I'll, I'll, I'll start. I will say, I, I will say under just looking at how many players that I think will just, you know, graduate or go pro this year um, or then have a, you know, or guys that I think will be in good positions to start. I mean, if, you know, if Nas Lane doesn't play a whole bunch, maybe he's in that conversation, but then I think there is like, Oh, this like, cause like I, if this was maybe the past regime, it would take like one or two look, at Alex Shimchuk the, and then decide in a second whether he's going to be a long time Gator or if he's going to transfer out but I think that just the nature he came in that he's gonna like those guys will kind of stick around and as the Gators get looks at them and Denzel Aberdeen I think that if he was like I think he kind of wants to be a Gator so even if he doesn't because he stayed committed to a new coaching staff so I think mm-hmm. even if uh even if he doesn't play it all this year which he very well might not I think he still probably sticks around and uh We'll see, I guess, if the staff also wants that, but I don't know. I'll just say under while also acknowledging that it could very easily be over.
2: Yeah. I think two and a half is kind of the money. That's, that's where you'd want to be if I were in Vegas, because it just makes you pick between two and three. I'll stick with under and agree with him. I think it'll be two. Um, I can see how it could very easily be three. So I'm going to go ahead and do the the final question here. Um and I I will acknowledge that I thought of this ten minutes before the show and was like I'm gonna get this in last and it's gonna be pretty fun and and Jake deserves a question too right Eric absolutely Ford. absolutely Ford. yeah so more likely Gator and we're, I like that he went portal last because that's where my question is most likely Florida Gator transfer to win Player of the Year in their conference. Quez Glover in the Southern Conference, my favorite. Keontae Johnson <laughs> in the Big Twelve. You know, I I will preface it by
0: saying this: I think that overall, I think Keontae will be the better player. Obviously, of course, with his health, based on how much he can play, whether it's efficiency wise, total numbers. But because the Big 12 is such an impressive conference and because there are just so many dudes and so many guys in that league, I am going to go with Quez Glover, who some people thought wasn't pushed out of the Florida program, but maybe didn't have a role for him. And if you look at his usage and his shot numbers at Samford, I mean, you would think he's the only scholarship player on the team. <laughs> and and I love watching the SoCon. Eric knows that is like my number one favorite mid-major basketball conference like Furman has just been my mid-major team for so long. My first SoCon game I ever went to was a UNC Greensboro, a West Carolina overtime game that just featured so many great SoCon guys going back and forth. Francis Alonzo, yeah, Dickey, who is obviously now playing professional ball now. So I'm going to stick with my guys in the SoCon. I'm going to stick with Quez Glover on this one. I think he is more likely to win player of the year than Keontae is, but wishing Keontae all the best. Hope he has a good season, but I got to go with my guy Quez. when you got a guy who is allowed to take 20 plus shots and kind of do whatever he wants on that floor. You know, I, I think I'm gonna have to go with Quez just because
1: of sheer volume there. I mean, I think this was just directed to Jake, but I'll just jump in anyways. Like <laughs> I think that the, the one problem that honestly both of those, both those guys will have is like Kansas state might finish last in the the big 12 and Samford is might finish in the bottom third of that league as well. And it's just like how often do players of the league come from teams that finish so low, like, rarely if not ever so it, it it could be tough um and then the other thing I'll point out is if you go to Bart Torvik and you look at who's the best player in uh, the big 12 they currently have Keontae Johnson and again that's actually when you look at the big 12 this year there's a lot of great teams but like a lot of them are bringing in transfers to kind of be their like best players and it's like oh do you think like Fardaz AMAC at Texas Tech or like Oshun Oshuni at Iowa State like those are the guys kind of considered to be at the the top, at least according to Bartorvik, which again can be taken with a grain of salt. It's always going to be tilted towards big men who put up counting stats. But mm-hmm. um, it is interesting to see that Keontae Johnson is considered to be the best, uh, the best player in the Big 12 according to uh, Bartorvik. But uh, um, again, I don't think I don't think there's anything built into the algorithm to factor in heart condition and and being off for you know as as long as he was so. Um, I think that Quez, Quez Glover is probably the probably the smart money on that one. Again, we're not even entirely sure how much Keontae Johnson will be able to play, but hopefully a whole lot. Because I also almost just as uh, as you know, I don't want to say a joke, but could have said Keontae Johnson is the highest score against the Gators just to make people uh, ha- getting their feels a little bit earlier in the in the question. But, but I chose I chose not to do that, and I don't actually think
2: that that will be
1: the case. <laughs> but, well, yeah, I mean, look,
2: a- I, I will say that. I love those answers, guys. Um, But, like, Jalen Wilson as preseason Big 12 player of the year, like, because he – what? Because he had 15 points in the national title game? Like, okay. Reminds me of Maurice Spates, like, hitting a turnaround fadeaway against Ohio State and, like, suddenly being a lottery pick, like, in every preseason projection the next year. And Billy Donovan being like – I don't understand any of this. He hit a a jump shot in the national title game, and you guys made him first team all SEC, right? Like, so I don't know. Like, the kid from TCU is pretty good, right? But, like, Keontae is the best player in that league if he's okay. Like, totally just is. Mm -hmm. Um, Mike Bothwell is the best player in the Southern Conference. Sorry.
0: Oh man! Well, no, I, I I think that's a fair discussion, and I think that's a good question, Neil. Actually, I, I like that you had a question prepared for this. That was uh it was good to be on on the other side of the glass instead of taking the bet. You know, uh, getting my tickets down, making sure I can uh, hopefully bet enough so I can get a, a free drink voucher at the uh, at the Woodfired Grill over at Wendy's Winter <laughs> Sportsbook and uh, Wood Grill. But thank you guys very much for having me on. You know, I am. A huge Florida Basketball Hour fan, as are uh, a lot of my friends, Crenshaw, the Repairman, all, all, all my good friends who listen to Florida Basketball Hour. I want to give them a uh, a good shout out there. And uh, thank you guys again for having me. I, I love talking Gator Basketball. I love talking sports betting. These are just like a marriage of two great things.
1: <laughs> it was great having you on. And, um, I know, you know, from doing this the last couple of years that it like legitimately takes like work and planning. So, um, thank you for actually spending the time to make this show really good. And, um, I also have to remind, or I just kind of remember now that I do have to thank, you know, Gators breakdown who, you know, with uh, David Waters and, and Will Miles who every year do their kind of like superlatives over unders. They're the one who kind of like gave us the idea to do it. So we want to make sure we give them credit because they're the ones we ripped off. But um, Jake, uh, this certainly will not be the, the last time we we have you on this season to talk Gator basketball. Um, while this was fun, I'm sure you'd much rather be talking, you know, actual games after they happen. So we'll definitely get you back on then. For sure. Thanks guys. You want to close us out? Do close I want to cl- Uh, You know what, I think I will. All right, well,
0: all I got to say is go Gators, keep attacking closeouts, and for the love of God, do not
2: let Colin Castleton shoot three-pointers, please. (laughs) That's all I ask.